Welcome to the Dollar Wise Podcast. At HFM, one of the most significant values we provide our clients is leveraging our experience helping hundreds successfully navigate through life's transitions. On this podcast, our advisor team explores some of the questions we get every day from our clients. We share some insights on financial topics, and we interview some fantastic professionals from our vast network. Our hope is that you leave with some food for thought and some good ideas to consider. Thank you for joining us. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Dollar Wise Podcast. Today, I am joined by my colleague and our Social Security retirement expert, Catherine Allen Carlozo. Hi, Jason. Hey. We are going to get into a topic today that basically just made it just by a couple days into 2023, Secure Act 2.0. So you may have heard about it on the news, you might have read about it online, but there are a ton of provisions in this bill, something like 100, I heard 99. Close to 100. Yeah. Close to 100 provisions in this bill. And there's a ton to digest. And we're not going to go through all of them in this podcast because it would be a 19-hour podcast. But what we are going to do, right, is go through five of the ones that as we were reading through this, we feel like our clients and our listeners need to know about the most going into 2023. I think that we were saying earlier is some of this is kind of all over the place with what's being phased in or effective in 2023, what's, what's 2024, what's 2025, even out to 2033. Yeah, there's a lot in here, and it seems like it is spaced out. A lot of the meaty stuff actually doesn't come into effect until 2024. So we figure, yeah, let's take the stuff that's going to be effective now, make sure that you have information that you need. But by all means, there are tons of, and we'll link to one in the show notes, breakdowns of the whole bill. If you're interested in it, by all means, again, today we're going to focus on the ones that we feel like are most impactful for your average person. So Catherine, kick us off. What's the first one? The first one, which is effective in 2023, which is now, there is a new age for required minimum distribution. So just to refresh everyone's memory, when you turn a certain age and you have money in a retirement account, like a traditional IRA, for instance, not a Roth, that you have to take out a minimum distribution that Uncle Sam or the government says, hey, You've been deferring these taxes all these years. Now let's take some out and pay taxes on it. It becomes taxable income. And that age is 72 now. And just a few years ago, it was 70 and a half, right? So it's starting to creep up. Yeah, the weird thing with that. So now (laughs) it's going to be 73. And then they're going to be phasing it to 75. And that's going to be phased into by 2033. So here's a good way to look at it. If you were born 1950 or earlier, then your required minimum distribution age, or RMD as we call it, is 72. If you were born between the age of 1951 and 1959, is 73. And then for anyone who was born 1960 or later, it's going to be 75. That's a great way to look at it because I know doing the math in our heads is always like a little bit challenging and people get confused because a lot of times even that required minimum, technically you don't have to take until the April following the year that you turn whatever these ages are. So it can get really confusing. But this is great, I feel like, because a lot of our clients, when we're talking about taking money out of their retirement plan funds, whether it's 401k or IRA or what have you, to fund their lifestyle, a lot of the question becomes, which account should we take it from? And a lot of times we have to account for the fact that they have to take a certain amount out of their IRA at certain ages or out of their 401k at certain ages. Because of course, 
the IRS wants that tax money. And so if we can delay it even just another year or eventually two more years, that's a win for a lot of people who really are trying to want to put off taking that money out. Yeah. And it could even mean certain changes for beneficiaries, particularly like spousal beneficiaries, which, again, is so individual for people. We have to help them figure it out, but if they don't need to. But there's another thing, too, that sometimes it gets forgotten and people forget to take out the required minimum distribution. So it used to be if you forgot, then there was a 50% penalty on the money that you were supposed to take out. Now, a lot of times the IRS didn't really... They weren't quite paying attention. Yeah, they kind of like, yeah, it's all right. If you're going to fix this, you're okay. But they just reduced that down to 25%. And then if you say, well, you know what? I missed it, but I'm going to fix it within generally like a couple of years, then the penalty is only 10%. But our job, obviously, is to make sure that our clients are taking out these minimum distributions on time and the beneficiaries as well. Sure. We don't want to see anybody get hit with any of those penalties, right? Correct. Let's look at number two. Number two, they're increasing a catch-up contribution if you have a retirement plan or an IRA. And in 2022, it was 20500 as your regular contribution. And then if you were over the age of 50, then it was a $6,500 catch-up contribution. So for 2023, your regular contribution, you can contribute into your retirement plan, 22500 And if you're over 50, you can catch up with $7,500. That's a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, if you're over 50 now, you can put away $30,000 uh, into your retirement plan, which is absolutely huge. Just even after the last couple of years, it's kind of crept up each and every year. And that catch up can be really, really important because if you're somebody who's waited a little bit, or if you're just making more money than you've made before, and we see that a lot with our clients who are in their 50s where their kids might be out of college and their house might be kind of paid off. Now they have less expenses than they ever had before. In most cases, they're also making a lot more than they ever made before. So any place they can go that's tax advantaged to save money is always generally a win in a lot of cases. So there's a couple things with this. It's not quite that simple, right? No, because they're making some changes. So in other words, now this is effective in 2024. Catch-up contributions for people, again, that are 50 or over in 2024, the contribution will be indexed for inflation. It's actually going to go up. Mm-hmm. Also, here's a weird one. I'm sorry, I'm using the word weird, but I just think it's weird that they came up with this. If you are between the ages of 60 and 63, and this is in 2025. So beginning in 2025, yeah. Yep. If you're in that 60 to 63 age, you will be able to increase your catch-up contribution to... $10,000 or 50% more than what your catch-up contribution is going to be in 2024. The which year is before very, it's enabled. Right? Yeah. So if there's an increase in a contribution catch-up in 2024, like let's just say now it's 7500 but if it goes up, it's going to be whatever the greater is of whether it's $10,000 or whatever the catch-up is going to be. Clearly, some congressman somewhere who wrote this bill is between 60 and 63 exactly. because it's about the strangest. Well, or he will be or she will be <laughs> yeah, in 2025. Yeah, because some of us it's not applying to right now, but some of us it will be. And then that's also going to be indexed for inflation 
for 2025. So we think that's something very important for people to understand. It's a whole weird formula, but just keep it in mind. And of course, we'll probably have to remind people as we get closer to that. Yeah, especially because it's not something that's traditionally been done. Most people are at this point pretty on board with the catch-up contribution over age 50. But now they throw this extra one in, 60, 61, 62, and 63. And it's great because now it's another opportunity for us to be able to save tax advantage. But it's something a lot of people, I think, are going to have to be reminded of when the time comes. Another one of these provisions that we thought was important, the third one, is a Roth catch-up contribution. So if you are earning more than $145,000 in income, you're working for an employer, you're $145,000 or more, now you're over 50 and you want to use your catch-up contribution as well. Like the ones we just discussed. Right. Now they're going to put that money into a Roth account. And this is huge because now those contributions are not tax deductible. Yes, they're tax advantaged. So they're still going to grow tax deferred just like a Roth would. But before, you know, in years past, when you made those catch-up contributions, which used to be last year $6,500 and before that a little less, you'd be able to also make those as deductible contributions just like your main elective deferral. That was always a nice tax planning tool, especially for people that are making on the higher side of the income scale who can afford to do those catch-up provisions. They're the ones who want that tax deduction. So it's a little bit different. Now you're not getting that deduction, but you're also getting tax-free growth because when you go to take that money out of your bucket that will be allocated for Roth catch-up contributions, the money that comes out, including the growth, is going to be tax-free. That is definitely a little bit of silver lining to the whole situation. It is. And one of the things that I don't understand completely, and it's something that we'll have to know, because some employers offer traditional 401ks and Roth 401ks. So for someone that is working, and let's just say they can put in the 22.5 in their traditional 401k, they want to make a catch-up, $7,500. The employer says, we have a Roth 401k, and that's where that $7,500 is going to go. Well, if they don't offer that, what I read is they have to have some sort of option to allow you to put it into a Roth account. That's the way it should be. I think you're going to see a lot more employers all of a sudden scrambling to add this Roth contribution option to the plan if they don't already have it, just if not for anything else than for these catch-up contributions, because if it's not available to you, you just can't make them. I think they're going to get a lot of flack for their higher compensated people who want to make those contributions. But yeah, to your point, even that $145,000 income limit where this will come into play, there's a lot of questions around, is that my W-2 earnings? Is that my Medicare earnings? It's not exactly clear right now whether that takes into account contributions you made, any deductions that you have, but I think you're going to see a lot more clarity around that in the coming year or two as people start to really digest all this giant bill that was passed. Yeah, because one of the things that is an issue for people is if you make a certain amount of money, let's say you're married, you can only do so much. You can't contribute into a regular Roth IRA because your income limit's too high. So now, there's got to be something. Let's just say married couple, they make, I don't know, $250,000 or more, and they can't put money into a regular Roth IRA. So now how are they going to do this? Right, where's this money so like go? you said, they're going to have to figure this out. I'm sure they've already had some plan in place. But again, so people are aware of that, that if they make that income, once they hit that 145, that they're going to have to put their catch up into the uh, Roth somehow, some way. Well, let's look at number four. 
2024. So this is not this okay. year, but in 2024, if someone has a 529, which is a education plan for college or higher education, I should say. Qualified education expenses. Qualified education say, right? could be a qualified high school, could be some sort of accredited program. If you have money that you've had into a 529 for at least 15 years and you don't think maybe you're going to use it because your child now got a scholarship or you used up all the money and you have this excess money, you can now roll over up to $35,000 from a 529 plan into a Roth IRA for the beneficiary. I think this is really cool because- Really cool. We get a lot of people ask us, I want to have a 529 plan for my child, for my grandchild, whatever. But I don't want to make sure I don't put too much money in there because if they don't end up using all that money for school or they end up getting a scholarship or financial aid or whatever it is, what can I do with that money? And so now being able to roll that money into a Roth IRA, which give them the child a substantial retirement head start, $35,000 at 23 years old. There is one caveat. Obviously, they have to have earned income. So they do have to have a job. They have to be able to justify this rollover, the same as if they were making a contribution to a Roth IRA. But at the same time, this could be tremendously powerful rather than what we see sometimes, which is have this money in this 529, kids are done school, I have this amount. Now they're trying to figure out, well, what am I going to do with it so that I don't get penalized for taking it out for not school expenses? And one other caveat is you can't roll over any money that you have contributed into the 529 within the past five years. A lot of rules there. So you got 15 years, this thing's got to be open, and you can't roll over any contributions within the last five years. They don't want anybody doing this, flow the money through the 529 just to get a Roth IRA contribution. And it's really a during your lifetime. So 35,000 is the max. That's all you can do. And it's for each beneficiary. I want people to understand that. If you have three kids, they can each do this. And I believe it goes by the beneficiary, like you said, of the 529. So what we've been hearing, again, there's a lot of things that are getting worked out still by the experts in the field. But if you have a 529 and you have a certain beneficiary on there and you roll $35,000 to them, but you still have money left over, the current forthcoming knowledge is that you can change the beneficiary to somebody who's eligible, like a brother or sister or a parent, and then do the same thing for them and then do the same thing for them. So That's the current guidance, but again, all the stuff is in flux. The fifth thing that we were going to talk about, but it's kind of a group of things. And this is for people that are not near retirement yet. And there's a lot of nice things. We're just trying to summarize a couple of things. In 2025, if a company adopts a 401k or 403b plan, then you are going to be automatically enrolled as an employee into the plan with at least a 3% contribution rate, which I think is wonderful. Well, I think it's going to help a lot of people just get kickstarted because that's an optional provision now. Some plans can, the actual plan sponsor, the business owner can opt into having their employees automatically enrolled at some percentage. But like everything else, a lot of times employers don't want to make waves. They don't want to feel like they're telling their employees what to do with their money. So they don't do it. And then, you know, a lot of employees, there's all kinds of research that shows as humans, we are much more apt to do the thing that requires no work. If the default is you're not in the plan until you opt in, you end up with a lot of people not opting into the plan. If the default is you're opted in, unless you choose to opt out, you end up with a ton of people that stay in the plan and start saving for retirement. So that's a great thing. 
I think a lot of the SECURE Act is really trying to really give people an incentive to save money. I mean, they were trying to do it before. I think they're even with some of these things, even things like they may be able to add an emergency savings account. And that would be designated into a Roth. So if some people are trying to put away money in addition, but they need it as emergency savings, you could start to do that in 2024. Now, that is also up to the employer because 2500 is the annual max. It could be lower depending on the employer. If you're highly compensated, you're not eligible for that. And the other thing is for the first four years, if you need to withdraw that money, So if you've got $2,500 for four years that you're taking out, $10,000, you can take that out of that Roth, no penalty, no taxes. That is good because I think what they found was a lot of people who are either just getting started out or just in the lower income brackets who are trying to save for retirement or who fall into one of those plans that automatically enrolls them they were turning around and taking that money right out to pay bills and to do things they need to do in emergencies because we know the numbers and the statistics on the average person and what their emergency savings is and it's not great. And so people were turning into their retirement plans. So they're in this position where that's their only choice and they're getting hit with this penalty for taking money out. I think they took a step in the right direction here with making it just acknowledging that this is part of the world and and how things work. And instead of trying to punish those people. You know, they built something that's a little bit better. And there's some other provisions that we're not going to get into right now, but there are, if someone needs it for, sadly, if there was an abuse situation, they can take money out without a penalty, or if they really do have to withdraw for some sort of hardship that they can do that now. So there's a couple other things in there as well. One of the things that I like, and I want to point this out, is the student loan debt. So In 2024, again, not this year, next year, employers will be able to match employee student loan payments with matching payments to their retirement account. Basically, they're going to treat student loan payments as if they had made contributions to the 401k. So they'll still get a match right into the plan, which is so cool. It's beautiful. So many young people I feel like are caught in the middle of, do I start saving for retirement? So I get this match money, which they know is free money from their employer. Or do I pay off my student loans that have interest that's accruing now? They don't have to make that choice. Yeah, I think that's one of the better incentives for a lot of the younger people that are trying to get these student loans paid off. And God only knows what's going to happen with that. There is also, just real quickly, a long-term care distribution that might come into play for people that might need money because long-term care is what Medicare doesn't pay for after a certain amount of time. Or there's a lot of reasons why people need money for long-term care. And also military, I thought this was interesting, was that one of the bad things about when you're in the military is that you're transferred. My dad was in the Navy. We were moving all the time. So what they're allowing them to do now is that if you're a spouse and you start a job, then right now you're not getting 100% vested or they're not letting you even... Eligible, right? Eligible. So they're basically saying you're going to be able to be eligible. It might be a certain dollar amount that you're eligible for it, but it just allows them to be able to put money into something and be eligible right away and even have some vesting just in case. 
Because otherwise, if you're moving around all the time, not to their own issue, but just as, as part of their job to job, yeah, their spouse's job, they're constantly in, in waiting to be eligible for the 401k plan at whatever job they're at. So I think that's definitely a step in the right direction. I think that's a huge thing. Like we said in the beginning, there's so many of these that it was bipartisan. There's so much about this that I don't even think all of Congress was able to even finish reading. So there's probably going to be adjustments. There's probably going to be some sort of amendments as we go along. And as we learn, the more we can share with people and be proactive to make sure that people are understanding that they're making some good decisions. Yeah. And it's like we said, there's almost a hundred different provisions that this bill added to make retirement landscape just a little bit more complex than it already was. So please make sure you get the right information, whether that's from your financial advisor, whether it's from reaching out to us or your tax advisor, just make sure that you're straight on what pieces of this bill apply to you and your situation and make sure that you're taking advantage of anything that's going to be able to put you in a better place. I want to thank everybody for joining us on this episode of the Dollar Wise Podcast. If you are not a subscriber yet, make sure you hit that subscribe button on Amazon, Apple, Spotify, however you're listening to us, hit that subscribe button and you'll get an update every time we drop a new episode and you'll be able to hear from your favorite HFM team. (laughs) Great. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Dollar Wise Podcast. At HFM, our mission is to educate and empower our clients to make wise financial decisions. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at hfmadvisors.com. The Dollar Wise Podcast is presented by HFM Investment Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor firm. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer for sale or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. All investments involve risk and are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as a recommendation appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.